Mark Zuckerberg told The New Yorker the news source he definitely follows is TechMeme. So listen to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, the podcast anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every day. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you get a rundown of what happened in the world of tech with all the headlines, context, commentaries, and tweets from all the biggest players. New episodes every day at 5 p.m. Eastern. Search your favorite podcast app for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Zenni offers thousands of affordable eyewear styles, starting at just $6.95. No ridiculous markups, no hassles, just quality, affordable eyewear delivered right to you. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. Good evening from Washington, where one by one today, senior administration officials spoke up and denied being the senior administration official, the one who wrote these words for the opinion pages of the New York Times. Quote, the dilemma which he, meaning the president, does not fully grasp is that many of the senior officials in his own administration are working diligently from within to frustrate parts of his agenda and his worst inclinations. I would know I am one of them. That declaration, which rocked this town when it hit, has lost none of its power since then. Along with the reporting in Bob Woodward's new book, it has certainly shaken any remaining notion that this White House runs in any way as the president has repeatedly said it does. We do everything straight. We do everything by the book. Well, keeping him honest, not sure what book he's talking about, but there's nothing in most books on governance that reflect what seems to be going on inside this White House or anything this anonymous official describes. The president, as you might imagine, is said to be volcanic over it, but he said nothing about it this afternoon as he departed for a trip out to Montana, where he's going to be speaking late tonight. White House uh, Press Secretary Sarah Sanders weighed in, attacking what she called, quote, this gutless loser, as well as The Times, for being, quote, complicit in this deceitful act. She also tweeted the Times' phone number so people could call and ask who the author of the letter is. The president has called on the Times to name the senior official. Sarah Sanders called on him or her to come forward and resign. No takers so far. These are all the senior administration officials up to and including the vice president who have denied writing the piece. Defense Secretary Mattis, Secretary of State Pompeo, Dan Coates, the director of national intelligence, the attorney general, more than two dozen top officials in all. However, there is one exception, perhaps significantly, perhaps not. Chief of Staff John Kelly, who's traveling with the president, has yet to issue a denial. In any case, it's not just the White House demanding this anonymous official come forward. So are a number of Democrats who say that this kind of nameless attack is no way to handle a serious problem. If senior administration officials think that the president of the United States is not able to do his job, then they should invoke the 25th Amendment. The Constitution provides for a procedure whenever the vice president and senior officials think that the president can't do his job. Uh, It does not provide that senior officials go around the president, pull documents off his desk, write anonymous op-eds, and leak to Bob Woodward. Well, so far, however, that's what we've got, a remarkable window into an extraordinarily out-of-the-ordinary administration And the dilemma seems to be that someone is trying to keep the president in check and hold him accountable without being accountable him or herself. Again, President Trump is due to speak a little bit later tonight. Our Jim Acosta is traveling with the president who's just weighed in on this. He joins us now from Billings, Montana. So uh, what, uh, what, what do we know more about the denials the president is getting from those close to him? 
Well, Anderson, uh, we understand that the president is intensely concerned and interested in those denials. They've been handing them uh, to him all day long, uh, and they've been coming in all day long, Anderson. I can tell you uh, from talking to one administration official uh, that the White House wanted to have a coordinated response to all of this earlier this morning. Uh, and then as they were trying to uh, plan some kind of response, there were all of these statements coming out of the woodwork from various uh, cabinet officials uh, and people who work under those cabinet officials. And it did take the White House by surprise. They did not seem uh, to be sure-footed in handling all of this. And according to this one administration official I, I spoke with, uh, this was uh, disorganized, to say the least. But I could tell you, Anderson, I'm uh, in this rally right now in Billings, Montana, where the president's going to be speaking here in a few moments. Uh, he has already issued a tweet on all of this asking whether or not the Uh, The journalists of the New York Times are going to investigate themselves and reveal who this anonymous source is. Uh, Anderson, I I, I could tell you from talking to sources close to this White House, uh, there is there is a hunt. Uh, There is a search going on right now inside this administration, not only conducted by White House officials, but allies of this White House. They want to know who anonymous is. How much weight? I mean, is the White House putting on these denials? Uh, Is the president taking them at face value? You said they're printing them out basically and showing them uh, to him. My understanding is that, that yes, he is. And and remember, this is a president who likes uh, to have cabinet meetings where uh, he goes around the room and cabinet officials and secretaries uh, praise him for the work that he's doing. So uh, this is very much in line and character with that. Uh, But I will tell you, Anderson, talking to uh, sources that are close to this White House, uh, I I talked to one source earlier today who was raising questions about uh, the the strength of some of these statements coming from some of these cabinet officials. I think there is, uh, in, in sort of the same way, they were going through that New York Times op-ed trying to search for clues as to whether or not, you know, this person or that person wrote that particular piece in the New York Times. There are, there are people, allies of the president, going through these statements from these cabinet officials and wondering if they're loyal enough. It just gives you an indication as to how intense uh, all of this is being taken inside the uh, inside the White House right now, and especially inside the Oval Office, yeah, Anderson. It's just stunning. Jim Acosta, appreciate it. With me now is Senator Richard Blumenthal, Democrat of Connecticut and a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senator Blumenthal, do you think that the senior administration official who wrote this should come forward? I think he should come forward, or she, because there's an obligation to tell the American people even more about the reasons that this official has such deep-seated and, frankly, alarming views of the chaotic, out-of-control, potentially demagogic state of our presidency. It's an imperial presidency that seems to be off the rails, and it has all the more relevance in the midst of the confirmation hearing we're having on a nominee who seemingly would provide no check on this presidency and provides no assurance that he would maintain the independence of the judiciary. If this person does not come forward, is it possible that uh, whatever their motive is, uh, that it has the reverse impact, that essentially this confirms for President Trump, for uh, some of his supporters, that there is something of a deep state, that there are is this bureaucracy, which is work, actively working to thwart some of his uh, uh, his efforts? There's no predicting what Donald Trump's base may think about this official who says there's a two-track presidency. But the simple fact of the matter is that we are in the midst of a profound constitutional crisis with the president, an unindicted co-conspirator. Never before has a president been an unindicted co-conspirator under these circumstances, in fact, nominating a justice to 
the Supreme Court who may sit on his case and give him a pass if he is an indicted co-conspirator or otherwise subject to judicial process like a subpoena to testify before the grand jury. And so whatever the effect on the base, it may simply further divide the country if this official fails to come forward and give more facts, not just the rhetoric, a lot of it that we see in this op-ed. Mark Meadows, Republican congressman, who's obviously a key ally of the president, told reporters that he and his staff are looking into whether this is something they could investigate. Should it be investigated with congressional resources? There is a need for Congress to investigate much more aggressively so much of the lawbreaking and wrongdoing, the culture of corruption in this administration. The only way it's going to happen is for the Congress to change. That's going to be the game changer for this administration. Impose some democratic and constitutional discipline. Your, your colleague, Senator Elizabeth Warren, told CNN today that if senior administration officials think the president is not able to do his job, they should invoke the 25th Amendment. Obviously, it seems highly unlikely, though, this op-ed did say that there were whispers about that early on. Do you agree with Warren? Invoking the 25th Amendment requires a high bar to be met in terms of the facts. In, in effect, a president physically or mentally unable to do the job, and it has to be done by the vice president and a majority of the cabinet. And that's a decision that increasingly is on the minds of people not only in the administration, but also many of us here in Congress. It would have to be initiated by the vice president or others in the administration. Um, Cory Booker asked uh, Kav- uh, Judge Kavanaugh uh, at the hearings in which you're a big part of that if he would recuse himself from issues involving the president, is that something you think he should actually do? I mean, my sense is you do think that. And if you do, why should he? Because isn't every I mean, every uh, judicial nominee is nominated by the president and they're not asked to recuse themselves from something about the person who nominated them. I asked Brett Kavanaugh very directly yesterday afternoon whether he would recuse himself. I believe very strongly that he must do so, that he must commit in this confirmation hearing that he would take himself out of any consideration of any issue involving the president's personal criminal or civil liability. Remember that I and 199 of my colleagues in a lawsuit that I've led have sued the president of the United States for his violation of the emoluments clause, the chief anti-corruption provision in the Constitution. That case will reach the Supreme Court. And the president's an unindicted co-conspirator. The likelihood is, as we stand here now, that the president could well be an indicted co-conspirator, not just an unindicted co-conspirator, or that he could be subpoenaed to testify and resist it, or to testify in a criminal proceeding against one of his friends or cronies or officials in his government. So you're saying Kavanaugh is too much under the president's thumb just because he was nominated by the president? Not only because he was nominated by this president, who's an unindicted co-conspirator, but because he has utterly failed to give us any assurance that he would defend the independence of the judiciary. He failed even to defend Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg against the attacks of this president when I asked him about them today. He failed even to go so far as Neil Gorsuch did in saying that the president's attacks on the judiciary are demoralizing and disheartening. He failed to establish that 
judicial independence, he has the right rhetoric, would be defended in practice, in real terms, with real backbone. And that is the reason, or one of them, that I am committed to vote against him. Senator Blumenthal, appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Joining us now, Gloria Borger, David Gergen, John Dean, and Carl Bernstein as well. I mean, the, it, it, it's, I don't know if surreal is the word, Gloria, that we're in this situation where you have, you know, all these senior officials coming forward and making statements of fealty to the president and them being, you know, read very closely by folks in the White House. Yeah, it's a little kind of dear leader-ish, and it's, uh, the, the, the stunning notion to me is that it's not just sort of senior administration officials um, it is the vice president of the United States saying, I didn't say that the president is a national security risk. It is people who are running the intelligence community who felt the need, the director of the FBI, who felt the need to go out there and say, I didn't say that the president was a national security risk. I mean, there, there, there is something so surreal, is the word, about this and that this notion that as these statements come in, somehow they're being delivered, hand delivered to the president who is reading them and saying, oh, that's good. OK, fine. Well, I know that I know the Pence didn't do it. Let's go to the next one. I mean, the, the question that I would ask is uh, why believe any of them? I think Jim Acosta pointed that out. And also, what good does it do? What 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 does it matter in, in many ways? Well, David, does it, I mean, does this focus on who it is and the search for it, does it take away from the message that this person was trying to get across? Absolutely. This could easily be a public relations ploy. This White House fully understands that if you spend a lot of time trying to shoot the messenger, you can kill the message. And I think we have to keep our focus on what is actually in the contents of that piece, as well as the search. It's interesting. It's, it's Washington game. But you think it could but be employed nowhere. by the White House focusing on the search yeah. to distract from what yeah. the actual person is saying? I do. And I think it, I think they're smart enough to know that. They're very good about on these kind of issues. They know how to distract and throw, you know, throw a dust in our eyes. Don't you think and, Trump also wants to know, though? Oh, of course he wants to know. <laughs> of course he wants to know, but... We don't need to become obsessed with the search. Right. We need, we need to be focusing. What the country is really cares about is how well this White House is running. I right. agree. John Dean, do you agree with that, that this could be an effort by the White House to essentially, you know, change the conversation? Very much so. I, I, as soon as David said it, it clicked. Uh, I think you're right on. Mm-hmm. I think these people, this whole White House operation has mastered the art of deflecting attention. They do it consistently and they do it very well. Carl, I mean, is it possible it actually plays into the president's hands, the notion of that he's surrounded by, you know, people who are trying to thwart his his will, his agenda? Well, it does uh, or it can, because indeed one of his themes and those of uh, people around him has been is that there is a deep state conspiracy against President Trump. And that theme is being repeated because of this uh, letter uh, in, in the New York Times, this piece in the New York Times. But what's really going on here is that Bob Woodward's book and the contents of what is in the anonymous uh, piece in the New York Times is that those closest to the president of the United States 
are saying we must save the country from the president of the United States. And incidentally, people, Republicans in Congress, this is no surprise to them. They have heard this from people around the president of the United States. Mitch McConnell knows that this kind of attitude about the danger posed by the president has been expressed to Mitch McConnell by people around the president. It's the same with Paul Ryan. What we need here are finally, I think, some hearings, congressional hearings, in which an executive session or open session, those around the president of the United States are questioned about the fitness of Donald Trump to be the president of the United States. That's what's at stake here. What we are talking about is a portrait by numerous people. In Bob Woodward's book, I've read the whole book, uh, you see it so convincingly in scene after scene after Carl, scene. Carl, why would anybody tell the to truth the president. in front of a, a, a committee? Why would anybody tell the truth if that is, in fact, what their opinion is, given, I mean, all these people have made statements uh, saying it wasn't me, it wasn't me. They ha- Nobody is standing up and saying, oh, yes, I agree with what this anonymous person I said. Why would it be I any different? I don't know what would happen. I think it's important. I think if if you have bipartisan hearings... Uh, if the Democrats were to win the House and you had Republicans and Democrats calling these people in and there might be mixed opinions, uh, there might be some gray areas. But it is very important for the leadership in the Congress of the United States and the people of the United States to know whether or not Donald Trump is fit to be president, whether he is stable enough to be president, honest enough to be president, and has the capabilities of being president. That is what we are learning this week. The people closest to him have the gravest doubts about Gloria, I mean, to to, to Carl's point, there's no, I mean, there's no expressed appetite of Republicans in Congress to even talk about this, (laughs) let alone hold hearings. You know, ex- exactly. And re- and Republicans, as we all know, are whispering about this to each other. But there are no profiles in courage up there because Donald Trump has an 80 or 90 percent approval rating with with uh, Republicans. It is his party. The only thing that I can see changing this is an election. And if suddenly that's what I was if, suggesting. If su- right. It, that's right. It's suddenly if Donald Trump becomes a little less scary to Republicans. If he loses the House, there will be all kinds of hearings, trust me. If the Senate comes close or they lose the Senate, then it's really going to get uh, bad for Donald Trump. But right now, these Republicans, and, and you heard uh, Bob Corker say it today, Senator from Tennessee who's leaving, why is anybody surprised about this? We've heard this stuff about right. Donald Trump. But nobody's right. going to do anything about it because they're looking out for themselves. I know that's shocking. We've got to take a quick break. We're going to continue this discussion. We'll pick up when we come back. Also, there's later uh, breaking news. Senator Blumenthal alluded to it a moment ago, the Kavanaugh hearings. The question of whether the president's Supreme Court nominee will commit to recusing himself from cases involving the president. Senator Cory Booker was a very loud voice in the room today. I'll talk to him about what went on. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Our friends at Zenni Optical offer a huge variety of high-quality, stylish frames and state-of-the-art optics starting at just $6.95. You can get multiple frames with this great pricing for less than one pair elsewhere. Start building your eyewear wardrobe from the comfort of your own home at Zenni.com. With the latest trends in eyewear, available in hundreds of frame styles and materials, there isn't a better way to change it up for every season. Plus, Zenni offers prescription sunglasses at incredible prices. 
Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I dot com slash CNN. We talked a bit before the break about the risk of letting the search for anonymous overshadow his or her message about the president and the presidency. So in that spirit, just to remind you, here's some of what this administration official wrote. Quote, the root of the problem is the president's amorality. Anyone who works with him knows he is not moored to any discernible first principles that guide his decision making. It went on to say meetings with him veer off topic and off the rails. He engages in repetitive rants and his impulsiveness results in half-baked, ill-informed and occasionally reckless decisions that have to be walked back. And then there was this. Given the instability many witnessed, there were early whispers within the cabinet of invoking the 25th Amendment, which would start a complex process for removing the president. But no one wanted to precipitate a constitutional crisis. So we will do what we can to steer the administration in the right direction until one way or another it's over. Back now uh, with our, our guest. Uh, you know, now, you now have David, uh, Senator Rand Paul talking about polygraphing, uh, polygraphing people widely in, in the administration. Polygraphs are unadmissible in court. I mean, they're, they're not all that necessarily reliable. Um, but is there a danger in how much this consumes the administration? I mean, that it starts to Absolutely. kind of eat itself? Absolutely. The polygraph would be an awful idea. I remember when the, when uh, President Reagan was very, very upset with uh, all the leaks. He said he had leaks up to his keister, and he was just, you know, he was carrying on. And people then started talking about polygraphs. And George Shultz, Secretary of State, said, the day you started polygraphs, the day I walk out the door. Hmm. You cannot do that to people. You can't do that to be honorable people. Uh, and, and it killed it. I mean, we, did, we never went forward with it. John, I'm sure you... I, I believe they work. I t- you I, think that, yeah. It was my word against the acting FBI director... Yes, I you, went and took a polygraph. I passed it. I, I we wanted Pat Gray to take one. Mm-hmm. Two days later, he left office. But would you support right? the, the, out of polygraph the fear of everybody? Taking it. Yeah, interesting. I think I think I think applying polygraphs, asking people to take polygraphs, is it it it's it suggests a level of distrust even above what we're seeing now. But also, once you start, I mean, first of all, how yeah. many people are you going to polygraph? There exactly. are an awful lot of people who are in the realm of senior administration yeah. officials, um, and the amount of time. I mean, I'm just not enough machines to do it on mass scale. What about the irony of polygraphing people in the Trump administration where the president of the United States himself happens to be be somebody who has problems telling the truth? Exactly. And so it, it would be the most ironic thing that could ever occur, which would be that this president of all people, um, would who would ask his own people to yeah. take polygraphs? I, I do think there's a very good chance that whoever wrote the anonymous piece has already put out a statement of denial. Carl, you know, I've been rereading this Polish journalist who wrote this famous book about Emperor Haile Selassie. And I know this is kind of a weird tangent, but I'm just reminded of it again because I'm happy to talk of, about Haile Selassie. Of the, well, no, of the way <laughs> Haile Selassie's court was constantly kind of devouring each other and devouring itself and, and having all these different competing groups playing off and fearful of one another, it makes me feel like reading what this person said, just the intrigue in this White House is stunning. That is what Bob Woodward's book is about. And again, what was written in the New York Times. It is about a president who is unhinged. And what we are watching in the president's response to trying to find this one person is an unhinged 
president looking for someone when, in fact, he ought to be doing the business of being the president of the United States. And to Gloria's point, what comes through in Bob Woodward's book and what comes through in witness after witness after witness is Donald Trump's lying. And the lying being what undoes him and the reason that those closest to him have concluded he cannot be fit to be the president because of the lying. His own lawyer, the last line in Bob Woodward's book is, Trump had one overriding problem that the lawyer Dowd knew but could not bring himself to say to the president, you are an effing liar. That is what suffuses everything that we are learning about the honorable, supposedly, people who serve him. They can't Take the line. No country can survive a president who lies like this. So that's so then what does, this is about. You know. So what do you do then? Give give the lying president a polygraph? <laughs> if everybody no, else, that if, goes to the question not. of the fitness. This is all exactly. about the fitness of the president of exactly. the United States to be president. If the Democrats take the House. Perhaps there is a way to have truly bipartisan hearings with Republicans as full participants in which the fitness of the president and what these people are saying to Bob Woodward, these same people who are named, incidentally, uh, should come in and testify and give their feelings about whether or not Donald Trump is yeah. fit yeah. to be the president of the United States. David. That's the issue. Yeah, I, I, I think that those who are calling for the 25th Amendment and invoking the 25th Amendment, it's premature Too to do quick. that now. I, right. it, we're in a gray area right now in which there are a lot of allegations, but we really don't have this pinned down. And what is needed, I don't think anything will happen before the midterms, but after the midterms, there needs to be some sort of mechanism for exploring this question, whether it's open hearings right. or closed hearings. You're talking like but, a truth and reconciliation? I think something that, I, and the Republican Party leadership bears responsibility right. here. If they know and let this go on, the, president, the, the Republican Party is culpable on this, and it could destroy the party if they're not careful. But what's the tipping point? I mean, that's I don't you know, think there is the a question. tipping point. I think there's an exploration that's much more serious than anything we've done. Yeah, but the, but the tipping point for them may be their own, I would argue, their own self-interest. At a well, sure, at, 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 at a certain point. Politics. Yeah, it's, yeah. Poli- it's called politics. Right. Because they're not going to they're not going to do it on their own. If they would have done it, they would have done it already. How many tipping points have there been? I mean, yeah. somebody, like, you can only tip over so many times. It's tipped. It's, you know, spilt out. It's, you know. I, I, I agree, it's but there obvious. has to be some way to move beyond. You, you can't throw a president out of, uh, based on a book by Bob Woodward. As good, much as I admired Bob, and I think rewriting is wonderful, we're, t- we're talking about a, you know, a need for a pr- uh, the, right. the country to reach some sort of consensus. But, but it's also important to remember, John, that what this writer is saying is it's not just what this writer thinks. It, this writer is alleging that there is a, a whole kind of sea of people in, within the administration There's who are aware of this. Yeah, it, that it's, it's, it believes he's amoral and he's off the rails that he really uh, is somebody, he is not a leader. Uh, it is fascinating true. how the writer used phrases that, you know, yes. that Mike Pence used, Lodestar, yes. off right. the rails, which is a phrase John Kelly, Kelly allegedly used in, in the Woodward book. Uh, obviously, you know, Clever. there's a reason for that. To You know, it's like... A little camouflage, smoke maybe. Though, right. <laughs> uh, I, I want to thank everybody. Still, a lot to get to tonight, including what's certainly become a Washington obsession, finding out who was behind that op-ed. We talked about that and whether it's obscuring the actual message uh, of what this person said, 
Also later tonight, we remember True Hollywood star. We'll say goodbye to Burt Reynolds, whose films included Deliverance, Smokey and the Bandit, and so many more. Remember, to create an ad like this one, visit purewinning.com slash CNN. As we said earlier, the highest ranking officials in the Trump administration are all denying that they wrote that now notorious op-ed. Here's that list again. More than two dozen top officials denying they wrote it. Meantime, on Capitol Hill today, some interesting perspective from Tennessee Senator Bob Corker. The Gloria Borger mentioned a moment ago that it's not even that much about who did it, but the perception that when you get down to it, it could have been almost anybody. I think a lot's been made out of nothing. I think the biggest issue they're going to have is figuring out who wouldn't have written a letter like that. So. Who wouldn't have written a letter like that, he said. Quite a question there from the Republican senator. 360's Randy Kay has more on the guessing game. Three little words. So they're saying senior administration officials. Have set off a collective game of clue across the country. Is it a Trump appointee? Is he in the White House? Calling all amateur sleuths. There are plenty of suspects. Do you have any other guesses? There's some good people in the Trump administration like Dan Coats. Uh, uh, who is somebody who, uh, you, you know, is, realizes the, the horror of what happened in Helsinki um, and people like General Mattis. Uh, so we won't know. I don't know when we'll find out who Anonymous is. When or if one former speechwriter for President Bill Clinton thinks Anonymous could be a speechwriter, too. It reads like a speechwriter. There's a lot of alliteration. We're starting with the same, the same, the same way. Like this. It may be cold comfort in this chaotic era. Others are speculating it's the president's chief of staff. Uh, Unnamed senior administration official. Kelly would be high on my list. General John Kelly clearly has a military background. And the buzzword lodestar used in the op-ed is a military term. It sounds like a military person to me. Still others are quick to point out lodestar is a word Vice President Mike Pence likes to use. Vigilance and resolve will be our lodestar. Be our lodestar. With vigilance and resolve as our lodestar. It's too obvious to say lodestar when you're when you're pens. When you've used it a million times. You want to be conspiratorial. It's even possible that someone wrote it knowing that the word lodestar was a favorite word of Vice President Pence and wanted to either cast suspicion on on the vice president or wanted to distract attention from themselves. The guessing game moved into hyperdrive with names such as White House counsel Don McGahn, CIA director Gina Haspel, and even George Conway, who is married to Kellyanne Conway and often trolls Trump on Twitter. It's not clear to us anyway that it's somebody in the White House. He may be a guy inside the White House. He may be uh, upper level, lower level. Maybe he's in the old executive office building. The 538's Nate Silver, who makes a living making predictions, zeroed in on the words anti-trade in the op-ed, tweeting that it made him wonder if it's someone in Treasury or at least highly concerned with economic policy. Whoever Anonymous is, it's a whodunit, tailor-made for TV. I have to say, I'm surprised by how good a writer Ivanka is. I mean... (laughs) Randy Kay, CNN, New York. With me now is CNN chief political correspondent Dana Bash and CNN presidential historian Douglas Brinkley, who you saw in Randy's report. I know, Dana, you've been talking to sources. What's going on behind the scenes? Well, it, it, it really is still an explosion of anger. Uh, but 
what we saw in the initial uh, outburst yesterday, which we really saw in public when the president came out and, and talked about all the great things that his administration has done, has um, has become a little bit less so, according to people I'm talking to who are speaking to those uh, in and around the president, and more um, kind of a, I wouldn't say shoulder shrug, but a maybe more of a hope that this is like so many other big explosions uh, in the media that make the president look bad and ends up being sort of overtaken by something else that happens in the world and maybe something else that the, by the president's doing. Mm. He knows how to try to distract. Um, this does seem different, but we have seen that before. And, and, there's, and there actually is um, more than I thought there would be, Anderson, even from people who might at least on some level agree with the substance of what was written. Um, some some feeling that this is just wrong. And you heard it from Democrats as well, uh, believe it or not, that this is wrong to do it this way, to do it anonymously, uh, to come out in a way that looks heroic. But more and more people I talked to said it's more of a cowardice. Yeah, I mean, uh, Doug, you heard from Senator Blumenthal earlier in the broadcast who said, you know, that he thinks this person should come forward because there's more this person knows and, and should tell the, the country about. It also, Doug, comes on the heels of Bob Woodward's book that describes staffers thwarting the president. While White House officials have denied Woodward's account, the op-ed claims that President Trump's inner circle trust him even less than anyone really has guessed. Have, just in, as a presidential historian, is there anything to compare this to? Well, first off, Anonymous seems to have had a half a spine, uh, not a full one. Uh, I was brave to do this in the New York Times, but uh, kind of cowardly not to put your name forward. But it's only been a day or so, and so I have to see if somebody eventually comes forward and owns up to it. But it may be a cabal working within uh, the administration. You know, obviously, everybody thinks of this as being strange and twisted times, and that brings you back to Richard Nixon. We've spent a lot of time talking about him on CNN. It does remind me of Nixon in 1974, the Woodward book, and Anonymous, when Nixon was unraveling in Watergate, and, you know, Henry Kissinger would come in, and Nixon would bark in order, and then people wouldn't follow it. They wouldn't follow his major foreign policy directives because they thought the president was a bit out to lunch or maybe was drinking or under too much stress. And I think that's where we're having now. A lot of people are concerned about the, the mental health of Donald Trump. Nobody doubts he can do a great rally. Nobody doubts that he's a, a genius at media. But the question is, it, it, with the 25th Amendment being raised, which I think is not going to happen, just being talked about, but is he fit for command? And how in the modern world do we judge psychiatric health? Uh, of, of a president. And uh, these are big questions. Uh, but also anonymous, as I know you've mentioned, Anderson, the Joe Klein book in the Bill Clinton years. And I've mentioned during Harry Truman's year, George Kennan was Mr. X for a while. We get these kind of uh, palace intrigues, uh, government Washington intrigues once in a while. But this one's really weird. Yeah. But and and beyond the whodunit, um, I had somebody who uh, is close to the Trump world, part of Trump world, but not in the White House. Uh, say to me earlier today that there is genuine concern that what we're seeing is the tip of the iceberg and the question is what's underneath and by that this person meant what's underneath in terms of the the real um opposition to the president from within mm -hmm. i mean we know about the resistance outside and that was obviously the whole point of this op-ed but how deep is, does that iceberg go within his own administration? Because it certainly, I mean, if, if this person is to be believed who wrote this, it certainly seems like th there are a number of others who they are communicating. Yes. And look, the reality is that 
we have spoken to a lot of people um, at various levels across our network and other news organizations who at various times have raised off-the-record concerns. This is a different situation when you have somebody writing it. Again, we don't know who that somebody is. Yeah. We just have to trust the times. It, it really is senior. Yeah, Doug Brinkley, thanks so much. I, w- I want to bring in Chris uh, to see what he was working on for Cuomo Prime Time. Chris? I like the new mode of me just adding to your uh, conversations because they're, that, they're so interesting. I'm listening. I don't like that. I now have to hear myself. But I do think you guys are on to something. The whodunit, look, that's candy uh, for us. We love a scoop. We want to know who it is. If it's a big shot, it matters. If it isn't, it really doesn't, except to put a light on the New York Times decision. However, what have they done, as opposed to who done it, is a really important question. Uh, this speculation that, ooh, this feels like the end of something. I think Dan is right. I think it's only the beginning. Uh, of something. What does it mean is a reflection of how it's being handled by the president, which by all accounts is poorly. So we're going to get into that tonight. What does it mean? What does it mean for the Trump White House? Uh, What does it mean on the other side of this notion of what's going on in the White House? All done in the shadow of this Kavanaugh hearing, who's someone else who could go by the title anonymous right now, because we don't know anything about the guy from these hearings. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Chris starts in about 18 minutes from now. Also, the president's going to be speaking during your hour. It'll be interesting, Chris, to see if he actually talks about this or tries to distract with something else. Uh, sure, you'll uh, follow up on that. We also have breaking news tonight. I'll talk with New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, who pushed Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh on whether he'd recuse himself in any cases involving President Trump and the Mueller investigation make their way to the high court. We'll talk about all the drama ahead. Senate. I'm Andy Cass from March Madness 365, and on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's Tyus Battle. I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game, just being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways, shooting the ball, I think that's improved, and uh, just my playmaking ability as well. Subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is breaking news from day three of Senate hearings into Brett Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court. New Jersey Democrat Senator Cory Booker uh, pushed Judge Kavanaugh about whether he'd recuse himself if any case involving President Trump came before the high court. Also, Senator Booker said he was willing to risk expulsion from the Senate for making public a series of emails from Kavanaugh that the Judiciary Committee had designated as committee confidential. I knowingly violated the rules that were put forth, and I'm told that the committee confidential rules have knowing consequences. And so, sir, I come from a long line, as all of us do as Americans, and understand what that, that kind of civil disobedience is, and I understand the consequences. So I am right now, before your, before your um, process is finished, I'm going to release the email about racial profiling, and I understand that, that the penalty comes with potential ousting from the Senate. And if Senator Cornyn believes that I violated Senate rules, I, I, I openly invite and accept the consequences of my team releasing that email right now. Well, Republicans pushed back later, saying that he and his staff had already been informed uh, those documents could be released. I spoke with Senator Booker just before the broadcast. Senator Booker, you just finished your, your second round of questioning of Judge Kavanaugh. You asked him if he would recuse himself from any case involving President Trump. Why should he, in your opinion, recuse himself? I mean, isn't every Supreme Court judge nominated by a president, should they all recuse themselves from anything to do with the president who nominated them? No, definitely not. But this this uh, candidate has a long shadow over him because from his federal from the president's federalist list that he wasn't even originally on until after the Mueller investigated started, 
Then he appeared on the list. He's the only person that has spoken on multiple occasions, written about, even on one hand, raised his hand about the issue of can a president be investigated? Can a president be indicted? So it's clear that the signal was sent, uh, whether it was intentionally or not, that I'm a person that believes a president shouldn't be investigated, shouldn't be indicted. And so that's a long shadow hanging over a person who's being nominated by a president who asked for loyalty tests, who asked for, uh, literally has said, I would not have appointed the attorney general if I knew he would have recused himself. So there's such a shadow that would undermine the legitimacy of the work that he has to do, where people would literally question uh, the legitimacy of his decision-making, that he should just step out of the process. There are eight justices that can do that work, and he should recuse himself. You've called the process a sham. Do you think Kavanaugh has been honest in his testimony? Um, I, I guess the issue is, for me, is that the document release that they've been bragging about, how many, how many thousands of pages they've released, when it comes to the body of his work, it really represents only about 10% of the totality of his documents. In the little bit that we've gotten that's been marked committee confidential, that I continue today, tweeting every day, just pushing these committee confidential documents out against that sham rule, uh, uh, we are seeing already there's a lot of nuggets in there that are worthy of asking this candidate. Well, speaking of the documents, this morning you said you were going to break Senate rules so you could release documents pertaining to, Supreme, to, to Kavanaugh. You said you were willing to risk expulsion from the Senate to do that. Now Republicans on the committee have said that the documents had already been approved for release before 4 a.m. this morning. Senator Cornyn basically accused you of a political stunt to bolster a possible run for the presidency. Was that just a stunt? Well, I mean, the amusing thing about that is what Cornyn first said is he threatened me, threatened me with expulsion, said what I was doing was unbecoming to the office I was holding. It's a deep insult for a senator to give to a senator in an environment with his logic collegiate. And he was doing that because last night I broke the Senate rules by reading from that email. And then today, throughout the entire day, this is not just about one email. I've already released over 20 committee confidential documents in violation of what they say are the Senate rules, in which Cornyn said I should be expelled, expelled for. So according to Cornyn's rules, it's a lot of talk, a lot of bluster right now. I am breaking the rules. But I was raised and taught that an unjust law, you almost have an obligation uh, to stand against it. So I am violating those laws. I have been doing all day. And it was an unjust law. You see, there's no consequence. They will not move to expel me from the Senate for violating the committee confidential rules. And I will continue to do so because I believe the public has the right to know where he stands on these issues. But I guess the question is, was it really a violation? Because at this point, I mean, to be clear, Bill Burke, the President Bush's presidential record representative, said he cleared the documents before 4 a.m. per your staff's request and that they had told you you could use them publicly. Grassley's office also confirmed you were told that the restrictions on the documents had been waived before you spoke today. So how do you square that with the idea that with what you've said. Well, I square that very easily. Number one, last night I broke the rules before they even, then they scrambled to release the document, but I continue to release documents. I've released 20 so far that they have not cleared. I am breaking the rules. I am breaking a sham rules. 20 documents. If you check my Twitter feed, anybody in the public now can have access to the ones that they wanted to hide. They haven't cleared those yet. Maybe they're rushing to catch up to me and clear those as well. So what you've talked about today, though, earlier, had those been cleared, and did you know those had been cleared? Uh, again, when I broke the committee rules last night, those documents had not been cleared. At the end of the day, do you have any reason to believe that Kavanaugh is not going to get the votes for confirmation? Um, I, I, I don't, but again, I, what I, my duty is, is to try to properly vet this candidate so that I can give advice and consent. It's written in the Constitution. And to properly vet somebody, you should have the fullness of their record. For some reason, the fullness of their record is being hidden from the American public. 
we only have about 10% of these documents. 90% of his resume is being hidden. Now, we've been pushing, I pushed documents out about a lot of different things today uh, against the rules of the Senate, against the rules, excuse me, of the committee. Uh, and, and, and that's just a tip of the iceberg. That's just a drop in the bucket of the totality of the documents that are out there that they've been hiding. Senator Booker, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, a quick reminder, don't miss Full Circle, our daily interactive newscast on Facebook. You get to pick some of the stories we cover. Then you join us at 625 p.m. Eastern every weekday night at Facebook.com slash Anderson Cooper Full Circle. If you haven't seen the show, it's a lot of fun. One of the America's most recognizable beloved movie stars has died. Coming up, a look back at the life and career of the one-of-a-kind, Burt Reynolds. Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current Yes analyst, Richard Jefferson on Bleacher Reports, the full 48. For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of like, all I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it. The full 48 is now available on Spotify. And of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, Sally Field today honored the man who uh, once called her uh, the love of her life, or he, she called the love of her life. Burt Reynolds died today at age 82. He was, for anyone my age, iconic, as was his romance with Sally Field, who told People magazine, there are times in your life that are so indelible they never fade away. Here's why. You've got a great profile. Yeah, I do, don't I? Especially from the side. Burt Reynolds knew what he had. He also knew that you knew, yet he never seemed to take it all too seriously because he also knew that he and we were all just along for the ride. The kind of ride in the kind of car in the kind of movie that for 96 minutes in 1977 made us forget those very troubled times and ignore one big sign of them, the one that says speed limit 55. Smokey and the Bandit made more than a quarter billion dollars at the box office and made a black Trans Am the car to have. It made Burt Reynolds an icon. He had already been a star for years. We get connected up with that body and the law. This thing's going to be hanging over us the rest of our lives. The 1972 film Deliverance took him up the river and transported him from journeyman actor to leading man and scared us all to death along the way. Two years later, in The Longest Yard, he played the football player he'd been in real life until injury led him to acting. He'd returned to the game and to fun and games in semi-tough, perfecting the persona that would make Smokey catch fire and Cannonball Run and Smokey 2 into the 80s. Jack Horner, filmmaker. He faded, then came back big in Boogie Nights and a string of other smaller parts that showed off his range and won critics over. But at the end of the day, at the end of a career few could even hope for, and the end of it all, he'll always be remembered for the kind of easy charm we all wish we had. Don't you ever take that hat off for anything? Sure. I take it off for one thing, and one thing only. If we were lost on a desert island together... Yes. Do you think we get along and talk and things? <laughs> sure. Yeah, we get along. It'd never be boring, I can tell you that. 
It would never be boring. Take your hat off. Burt Reynolds, semi-tough, semi-tender, and laughing at the joke all the way. They called you the band. He was certainly one of a kind. The news continues. I want to hand it over to Chris Cuomo. Cuomo Primetime starts now. Chris? Are you ready to learn how to build a better consulting or professional services company? Then download the Liston.io show for the best sales and marketing advice so you can deliver your services to the people who need you the most. On the show, I'll be interviewing the smartest people in the industry to share what they know about building a better consulting business. I'll also give you episodes where I tell you specifically how to sell your services with confidence and how to transform into an influential leader in your industry. Your happy clients probably want to help you. It's too hard for them right now. You're asking them to do too much of the selling that you should be doing. Yeah, it's going to move. It's going to change. It's going to disrupt you at some point in time. Your most loyal clients are your most profitable. Ready to learn how other people are building the consulting company you've always wanted? Download the Liston.io show spelled L-I-S-T-O-N dot I-O wherever you get your podcasts. Before you go, we wanted to let you know that we just launched the ability for anyone to advertise on CNN Podcasts. You're just a few clicks away from reaching millions of people in a way that you never have before. Advertise for a business event or kick off an awareness campaign for your brand. Start today at purewinning.com slash CNN. Integrating podcasts into your marketing mix has never been easier. Go to purewinning.com slash CNN to get started.